Before I get started on today's Know Your History, I would like to talk about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. If you're out in lower downtown one night, say if you're going to one of the fine, fine eateries down there in lower downtown, and you want to continue your evening, kind of want to have a nightcap, if you're out with a bunch of friends, or even with a loved one, or even by yourself, go right to the dairy block, right in the middle, and go to Blanchard Family Wines, one of my favorite places to go in Denver. Uh, a vast selection of uh, varietals of wine, and they do specialize in Pinot Noir, which is, as you know, the specialty of California, and they do have their own family vineyards in Sonoma County, California. Uh, one of my favorite atmospheres in Denver, and uh, if anyone has been to the Dairy Block, you'll know it's a gorgeous place. It's uh, one of the best places to go if you're just kind of want a like a nice relaxing night. Uh, and, and it's great in the summer, but it's also great in the fall and the winter, any time of year. Uh, wonderful staff, uh, knowledgeable staff that will treat you right, even if you're not a big fan of wine. They'll direct you to where you will actually enjoy yourself uh, in there in the in the uh, establishment. It's fantastic. One of my favorite places to go in Denver. They are located uh, between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family and Wines. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining me on episode three of Know Your History. Uh, this, like, uh, I wouldn't, I'm actually kind of surprised. Uh, this has been a big hit. Um, you guys really seem to like these Know Your Histories, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow it up with a quirky story, uh, Denver Nuggets specific story in NBA history. Um, one of the wackiest stories uh, for uh, free agency that you'll ever hear. Um, and this has to do with one of the greatest what-if stories, I think, in Nuggets history. Um, and Nuggets actually had two in the 90s, and they both played the same position. Um, and this one will involve Antonio McDice. Um, Dice, as we called him. Um, it is, it's one of those stories that, his overall story that has been hard to um, really quantify because the later part of his career, he was a, what you would describe as a solid role player. A guy could come off of the bench, give you about 10 points, uh, play solid D. Um, he was like that with the, with the Detroit Pistons, and he was like that with the San Antonio Spurs later in his career. Um, but this man had star potential and was headed on a star trajectory uh, six years, six, seven years into his career, uh, before, tragically, uh, he had a series of knee injuries in the span of two years that really just rendered him not the same. And it's disappointing. Antonio McDice was and had the capability of being extremely special, particularly during that era of NBA basketball. Uh, unfortunately, he spent most of that time with a sad sack Nuggets organization, but we'll get more to that. Uh, Antonio McDice was drafted in 1995. Uh, he was drafted by the Clippers. Uh, he was traded to the Clippers for Rodney Rogers and uh, Brian Williams. And uh, 
the, the Clippers sent back uh, that pick, and I believe they sent back Antonio McGuice and the pick that ended up being Brett, Brett Berry. I believe that was that was the exchange, and um, fascinating to see because I remember at the time, and remember, 1995, I was a 17-year-old fan, all right, and I was thinking, what the hell are you doing? Fonzo Ellis is on this team, played the same position, uh, were basically the same player, and it made me really irritated at then... Um, coach and GM Bernie Bickerstaff. Now, I actually spoke to Fonz about this in a long-lost podcast interview that was accidentally not adequately recorded by me, which is one of my biggest regrets in life. Um, but he told me that, look, they did what they had to do, the Nuggets had, because um, Fonz had the knee injury, and then a year later he'd have the Achilles injury, and it really really started crippling him. Well, in the 1995 draft, you didn't know Fonz would have the Achilles injury yet. Um, so the Nuggets ended up getting him, and he was put onto a team that was loaded with talent. Uh, that starting lineup was uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Dale Ellis, um, McDice, Matumbo, Jalen Rose, um at times, Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose was in and out of the starting lineup, and there was Bryant Stiff. It was it was it was a weird kind of juxtaposition. They played Jalen a lot at point guard in that, and of course, you'd have Fonz off the bench, uh, Don McLean, who actually was a a good uh, role player on that team. It was it was a loaded, talented team. But the Tet team also won 35 games that year. Their most notable accomplishment that team had in the 95-96 Nuggets was breaking the 72-win Bulls' 18-game winning streak. Uh, that was one of the more remarkable victories I've ever seen. Mahmoud Abdul-Roof had a tremendous game. Um, I would say a tremendous three quarters. Uh, the Nuggets were up by a lot in that game, and then the, the Bulls came back to lead, and then the Nuggets actually ended up winning. But... Uh, Regardless, um, the Nuggets go into the uh, 1996 offseason and completely dismantle the team. Bernie Bickerstaff was uh, on his last legs, and he began, according to Jalen Rose, he just began actively dismantling the team. Uh, he traded Rose and uh, Reggie Williams to the Indiana Pacers for um, Mark Jackson the corpse of Ricky Pierce, and I believe the 23rd pick in the draft. Uh, and also the Nuggets sent over, I believe it was the 10th pick that year, uh, in the legendary 1996 draft. We all know what happened there. Uh, that was a disappointing trade. They, they traded Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf for Sharunas Marcellonis, who I, do, I think didn't play a game for the Nuggets or maybe played a handful, but that was it. Um, and they also lost to Kemi Matumbo famously for nothing after Bernie Bickerstaff uh, actively was pissing him off during the year. That's something that does not get told enough. Uh, Bickerstaff really went about actively upsetting to Kemi Matumbo that year. Uh, would randomly bench him in the fourth quarter for no reason. Um, it was it was a nasty contract negotiation that didn't get anywhere, obviously, and Matumbo ends up going to the Hawks uh, in a four-year deal. 
that really upset Nuggets fans. Well, the 96-97 Nuggets team was not great. Uh, and the shining, exa- uh, great shining uh, uh, examples on that team were Lafonso Ellis and uh, Antonio McDice, who was, in his second year, really starting to develop his ascendancy and working on a nice baseline turnaround jumper. Um, <clears throat> he hadn't perfected it by then, but it was getting much, much better. And he was really, it was that trajectory, it was just pointing up. You could tell. And uh, in the NBA, particularly in the 90s, development tended to happen a bit quicker because players tended to come out. If you weren't a high school player, they tended to be a couple years in college. And uh, McDice went through four years of college at Alabama and uh, ended up, excuse me, ended up on this Nuggets team, which unfortunately for him was not very good. Uh, Bickerstaff gets fired at the beginning of the year. I talked about this in the Popovich podcast, but this Nuggets team didn't even tank right and ended up winning their last game of the season uh, in the Duncan draft and ended up getting the fifth pick and drafting Tony Battee when Tracy McGrady was available. It's a lot of problems there. Um, in the off season of 1997, uh, Alan Bristow had been hired in February. And Alan Bristow was a former assistant coach for the Denver Nuggets uh, under Doug Moe and was the first ever coach of the uh, Charlotte Hornets and led them to a playoff appearance in 1993. And um, he came on to this Denver Nuggets team as the team uh, general manager and president for uh, uh, Ascent Communications and um, began to understand this Nuggets team due to Bernie Bickerstaff's mismanagement and was completely bereft of, quote-unquote, what you would, now we would turn them as assets. Uh, back then, it was just draft picks and young players. The team, the team was not stocked. Uh, one of his first moves was trading Mark Jackson back to Indiana, um, com- completing a humiliating trade. <laughs> for the Denver Nuggets. Um, and then in the offseason in 1997, decides their only asset, really, that they can trade is uh, Antonio McDice. McDice uh, ends up going to the Phoenix Suns for, I believe, three second-round picks, if memory serves. It's something like that. It wasn't first-round picks. It was second-round picks. Um, the Nuggets needed all the draft picks they can get and uh, began com- uh, accumulating those as they, as they uh, McDice was part of that. Let me just put it to you that way. McDice was part of that asset accumulation. If, if we were looking at it now, they would be completely understandable what the Nuggets did at the time. They were in a bad position, and the only thing they could do to get restocked was to trade McDice. McDice goes to the Phoenix Suns and uh, gets on a good team that won 56 games. Uh, They had Jason Kidd and Rex Chapman and George McLeod, and they were coached by Danny Ainge, and it was a good, I wouldn't say they were a tremendous uh, Phoenix Suns team, but they were a good team. And uh, they were on their re-ascendancy post Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson, and were becoming a 
not, not I wouldn't say powerhouse, but they were becoming a better team. And they were a good team. And this was the start of Jason Kidd readjusting his career after the weirdness of being in um, Dallas with Jim Jackson, which is another story that I will cover here on uh, Know Your History. So McDice goes in. He doesn't have it's a, you would you would think he would have had better numbers, but he didn't. Um, he was on a good Phoenix Suns team, and I believe he averaged somewhere around thirteen points a game for the Suns. Maybe may, no, I would say sixteen points a game. My bad. Uh, and played most of that season, uh, a team that went to the playoffs. Uh, free agency came up for Antonio McDice in. Uh, 19, the offseason in 1998. Um, restricted free agency rules were different. Um, I, just due to, this was pre-1999 lockout, just before. Um, and McDice decided to enter into uh, his free agency. Now the lockout happens. The Nuggets go into the 1998 draft and blow it famously. Um, by this point, Alan Bristow had been fired and Dan Issel came on as coach. And obviously another epic draft was blown by the Nuggets as they drafted uh, Rafe LaFrance instead of any number of different players. Paul Pierce, Vince Carter, uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Obviously these names I'm listing off here will probably upset you, but it is, it is what it is. That's where the Nuggets were at the time. And the Nuggets end up going into the strike, formulating a different plan. Uh, on draft night, the Nuggets drafted Tyron Lue and flipped him to the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, along with a couple other players. I think Darvin Ham was one of them. Uh, flipped them to the Lakers for Nick Van Exel. Van Exel was already on the Nuggets team when the lockout happened, um, which was key. Uh, Nick Van Exel and Antonio McDice were buds. And this, obviously, in, in my view, and I haven't been able to completely confirm this, but I believe that played a factor in Issel's thinking in, getting, in pursuing McDice later. The 1998 walkout ends and free agency begins. Different cap structure, different all this stuff. More friendly to the teams. Player salaries are capped at max levels. The, what, the, the NBA max contract, as we know it, began in 1999. Um, McDice gets heavily recruited by the Denver Nuggets. And verbally agrees to come back, largely because of Nick Van Exel and Lafonso Ellis. Lafonso Ellis was also a bud of uh, Antonio McDice. Um, McDice and Fonz had developed a very close friendship from the time, the two years that he was on the Nuggets, and uh, became, let's just put it this way, Lafonso Ellis was probably the main factor for him verbally committing to the Nuggets. Uh, Lafonso Ellis was let go by Issel. Um, 
in the free agency there, largely because the Nuggets couldn't afford him. Uh, they were up against it with where that they, they could do, and if they wanted McDice, they were going to have to let Fonz go. Fonz goes to the Timberwolves and becomes an okay player for the rest of his career until he until he decides to retire in 2003. The Nuggets end up selecting uh, selecting to bring. Antonio McDice to Denver for a big recruiting visit at McNichol Sports Arena for an Avalanche game. He was actually a fan of the Avalanche, and I believe uh, then uh, Avalanche president slash general manager Pierre Lacroix gives him a hockey stick that's signed by I think it was Peter Forsberg or Joe Sackick, one of those. Um, has made a big show. They're at this game. Well, the Phoenix Suns had got wind of of McDice's reluctance after he had free, had uh, found out that Lafonso Ellis was not going to be on the Nuggets team, uh, and they knew that. McDice was a huge part of the reason they won 56 games that year. The Phoenix Suns decide, well, I should say not the Phoenix Suns, but Jason Kidd, Rex Chapman, George McLeod, hop on a plane. Now, this is an interesting period of time because this was, I think it was January of 1999, in the... uh, it could be December. It was one of those. But anyway, it was during the time of year when we get blizzards. Well, it was during a hockey game, and there was a blizzard going on outside McNichol Sports Arena while three Phoenix players fly into Centennial Airport, drive up to um, McNichols Arena in a blizzard to convince McDice to not sign with the Nuggets. Unbeknownst to McDice at the time, uh, Dan Issel and Pierre Lacroix caught wind that the, the uh, uh, Phoenix players were on their way up to Denver. What was interesting was, now this is where the dispute, and this is, this is I have talked to Dan Issel about this, okay, and he has gone on record on, the, on, on this end. He says that it was Pierre Lacroix's idea uh, to engage in a bit of gamesmanship with uh, his cohort. Uh, the Nuggets and Avalanche shared uh, and owners, the Ascent, Ascent uh, Entertainment Group, and decided to play some gamesmanship with the players who had flown up from Phoenix. Um, Issel claims that it was uh, Lacroix's idea to do this. While the game's going on, the... <laughs> The Phoenix Suns players try to get into McNichols Sports Arena and can't. They are kept outside in the blizzard by security uh, of the uh, the McNichols Sports Arena security slash ascent security. They are kept outside um, and not allowed to come in while there's feet of snow piling up outside. Um, Now, on the flip side of this, most people I talk to say that it was Issel's idea 
to lock out the Phoenix Suns players. Regardless, regardless, they were not allowed to get in the arena. And now this is pre-days where everyone has a cell phone, okay? People had beepers, uh, people had pagers, um, but they didn't necessarily, everyone have a cell phone. People, cell phones were becoming more prevalent, but this is pre-everyone and their brother, like, having a cell phone and not a landline. The Phoenix Suns players are desperately trying to get in. Antonio McDice has zero idea, zero idea that they're outside. Meanwhile, he's being presented a hockey stick by Pierre Lacroix. He is, <laughs> he is getting the royal treatment. And that night, McDice signs with the Denver Nuggets. That night. Whether you believe it's Issel who locked him out or whether it was Pierre Lacroix, I tend to believe it was both of them who decided to, because there's no way Lacroix would have done uh, lock the uh, players out of the McNichol Sports Arena if it wasn't for Issel giving the high sign. There's just he wouldn't have done unilaterally done that. Uh, there had to be some coordination. So history says that even though McDice was wavering at the time, he was getting the hard pitch by the Nuggets. And these Phoenix players, desperately, I mean absolutely desperately, trying to get to McDice before he does anything. And the interesting thing to me, and this is a question that's never been answered, is how they knew he was at the game. Um, McDice must have told them, or maybe his agent, must have told them that he was at the game. Because otherwise, how would you know unless he's answering his phone at home? Uh, Them going to that game was an interesting... Side note, additionally, McDice later said that if he would have known that the players were there, he may not have signed. I tend to think that McDice was gone anyway. He was going to come to Denver. Um, The thing about Antonio McDice was his nickname in Denver was McNice, and he was not a soft player, but he was a very decent fellow. And if he verbally committed to the Nuggets, even though he was wavering, he would have gone ahead and signed with the Denver Nuggets. There's no way he wouldn't have. And just in my mind, him being on this team for six years, I just never would have thought that McDice would have, uh, even if he was wavering, he would have committed and followed through. Um, Plus, he had Nick Van Exel here. And Van Exel was a big factor in his decision-making because those two guys were buds, as well as he and LaFonso Ellis. Um, Issel tends to believe, based on my conversation with him, was that it was Fonz not being here that was a real trigger to him wavering. I think also the fact that the Nuggets were not a great team and were going through a tremendous upheaval uh, kind of played into McDice's thinking as well. I mean, this Nuggets team in the late 90s was not great, and they were going through constant jam change, constant player change. Uh, Issel tried to come in and not build through the draft, but build through free agency and ended up signing a bunch of bad contracts. But right then, it was interesting, and, and people don't remember this, that there was some hope coming into the 1999 season. Uh, even though Mike D'Antoni only won 14 games that year, uh, 
he wasn't dealt the best hand. And the you could see if the Issel would have just hung on and kept D'Antoni on, maybe things would have been a little better. Maybe. Regardless, Antonio McDice goes on with the Nuggets to have his three the three best seasons of his career. Um, and the 99 season, 99-2001, and 2000-2001. Okay? Those three seasons are the best of his career. And in the 99-2000 season, he has uh, his best numbers. I think he has like 20 points and 12 rebounds a game. Insane stuff. And he was projecting, and and his trajectory kept going up, 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 up. At the end of the 2000-2001 season, the controversial 2000-2001 season, McDice kind of tweaked his knee. And he ended up missing the last handful of games of that regular season. Um, And there was some feeling that he was maybe pushing things a bit when he came back. Uh, He ended up starting the 2000-2001 season. And 10 games in, he blows out his patella. And he probably should have had surgery in the offseason of 2001. Um, His... Coming into that season, knowing he was a bit hurt and really not getting it fully attended to in the 2001 offseason probably contributed to his blowing out his patella um, and then essentially losing two years of his career. Uh, He sits out that season and Isla doesn't get fired. He actually resigns after yelling at a fan. Uh, Van Exel is traded. Uh, in the 2002 offseason, the Nuggets are dismantled again by Kiki Vandaway. It's basically, you can see the trajectory of where the Nuggets were going up, down, not really up and down, but it was it was chaos. It was constant chaos until Stan Kroenke became the owner, basically. And now you have what that is. McDice goes to New York and basically sits for two years. Um gets traded to Detroit, and revives his career as a great role player. But the Antonio McDice that I saw for basically five playing seasons in Denver was a player that had was a star and kept getting better and better. McDice was explosive and had a tr- tremendous, absolutely tremendous turnaround jump shot baseline, about 10, 12 feet out. Turn around, boom, it was automatic. And it really opened up his game. He was already a very good defensive player. Block shots like you wouldn't believe. Um, there's some highlights that if you're not familiar with McDice, you can, uh, in pre-role-playing days, you can look up his highlights on YouTube. Now, an interesting quirk is that in 2009, 2008, excuse me, November, he was part of the Chauncey Billups Allen Iverson trade. From all intents and purposes, even though they have denied it, most people agree that I talked to that McDice did not want to come back to the Nuggets, even though the Nuggets were a Western Conference Finals-type team. The reason being, he was traded twice. And Chauncey Billups kind of addressed this once. He said, you trade, if, you trade you, if, you, if you, the organization you're with trades you twice, you become, it's, it's like you start feeling like a piece of meat. 
and I think that McDice just didn't want to do it again. Now, outwardly, it was projected that it was agreed to, but McDice's buyout for the Nuggets took a long time to negotiate, and most people I talk to say that the Nuggets were desperately trying to convince McDice to come. Think of what the Nuggets would have looked at like that year with a healthy, role-playing Antonio McDice who could play tremendous defense. It's one of those... It's one of those things that it just, history didn't look that way, and it wasn't going to look that way, and Antonio McDice didn't end up coming back and really being that final piece the Nuggets needed in 2008-2009 to get them over the hump, because if, if McDice would have come in and not had insisted on a buyout, that Nuggets team, I have no doubt in my mind, would have won the title that year. Alas, it didn't happen. Well, thank you all for joining me on the latest Know Your History. I'm really enjoying these things. I'll have one, another one in two weeks. Um, and I'm gonna, what I'm going to be doing, and this is a, kind of the schedule now, uh, there's going to be a Know Your History every weekend, every other weekend, excuse me, on Saturday. And the regular Mortcasts during the week. And we're going to be sprinkling in a movie podcast um, with an old friend. And uh, I think you'll all be really excited to hear this. Oh, and thank you all. Downloads have exploded this month. I appreciate everyone listening. It's been tremendous. And I appreciate the fact that you liked this Know Your History series. I am enjoying doing it a lot. Thank you all for joining me. I'll be talking to you later. Goodbye.